Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today for Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group, where we highlight great people and nonprofits doing great things in our community. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach. So I'm going to ask you to think back, for some of us way back, <laughs> to what it was like when you first got your driver's license. Now, if you're like many 16-year-olds, you want to roll the window down, casually hang your arm out to catch the wind, maybe throw an occasional thumbs up to your neighbor because you passed your test, or maybe you head for the nearest back road where you can put the pedal to the metal or do a few donuts in the dirt. Now, I'm not saying I have personal experience with that by any means, but so exciting, so exhilarating, such a feeling of freedom, right? What about when you tossed your newborn up over your head and you welcomed them in your open arms while they laughed that deep belly laugh that's so contagious? Makes your heart swell, doesn't it? Puts a smile on my face every time I think back to those wonderful days, pure joy. The simple pleasures of life, you know, we take them for granted sometimes, don't we? But what if you relive those scenarios, but something was a little different? Suppose for a moment that you had a disability where you couldn't move your arms or your legs. Does that change the visual a little bit? Maybe you weren't born with a disability, so I can't relate to that. Maybe you said a thank you Lord prayer with a sigh of relief thinking you're in the clear. Well, if you think you're in the clear, you would be wrong. You or a loved one may still experience some kind of disability at some point in your life. In fact, more than 85% of people with disabilities acquire them later in life. My first guest today is Marcy Boucher, President and CEO of Independence First, whose vision is for full inclusion of people with disabilities in every aspect of our community. Welcome to the show today, Marcy. Thank you, Jill, for having me. You know, you have a personal reason and a passion for joining the efforts to make the world better for those with disabilities. You want to share that with us? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I've always had a passion since I was a little kid for helping people. And after 9-11, I just kind of made a career choice and thought, you know, I want to start using my gifts and talents to help people and made a complete cha career change working in the nonprofit field. And so I started like at a homeless shelter, then went to Habitat for Humanity. And then I ended up working for a small nonprofit helping people with disabilities. And that really became my passion for a while. And it, I just really enjoyed it. And then it became very personal. My daughter, who was at the time, was about 17 years old. And she started to get sick. And here she was this happy, vibrant, lovely girl. She still is, but she, you know, there was nothing physically wrong with her at all. Would mountain climb, loved to hike, um, surfed. And uh, then she started getting sick. And over the time, the doctors, they just couldn't find out what was wrong with her. And it was just a daily struggle trying to figure out what was happening and um, took about 10 years, and they finally diagnosed her with a rare disease. And um, during that time, uh, they 
had the doctors here in California had suggested that we go back east closer to the Mayo Clinic where they could help my daughter. At that same time, I got um, uh, headhunted off of LinkedIn and was offered this fabulous job at this organization that helps people with disabilities live independently in their homes. And I just thought, I don't know what's happening here, but I got to check it out. And so I uh, packed up and moved to uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and that's how I ended up here. And um, uh, I, I couldn't think of a better place to live as uh, we're going through this. And my daughter, um, although she is um, be, uh, in a wheelchair most of the time, she is very independent and she is getting married and she is just a lovely young lady and I'm very, very proud of her. Well, congratulations to your daughter for uh, you. her upcoming marriage. That's wonderful. I definitely believe all things for a reason. So you gotta, you gotta think that uh, someone had a big plan, right, for putting things in place right. for you. Yeah. Um, many people with disabilities, they want to live independently, right? They want to live in their own homes. They want to make their own choices. So tell us how Independence First helps accomplish that. Well, uh, Independence First has over 20 different programs that help people live independently in the community. Uh, we have uh, independent living skills classes. We have personal care assistance to help you live in your home if you need it. We have financial bill pain assistance. We have a huge resource and referral department. So if you don't know where to get help in the community and you have a disability, you can contact us and we'll tell you where to go and get the um, assistance that you may need. We help teach people how to advocate for themselves so they have a voice. We have a peer-to-peer -peer mentoring classes. We have benefits counseling that would um, uh, help people if they wanted to go back to work. What would happen to your benefits? We have uh, one really good story is uh, Lauren. She came to us for seeking benefits counseling, and she is legally blind. After going through the counseling, we ended up hiring her, and now she's our benefits counselor and runs that department. Uh, we also have a huge assistive technology department that has over 1,500 pieces of different adaptive equipment like lockers, wheelchairs, bedside commodes um, that help people to live in their house and independently. We would have uh, hand controls so you could operate a car for those that lost their ability to use their legs. Um, or maybe you need a, a an air mouthpiece that goes into your mouth that would move your um, uh, controller on your computer so you can still work if you don't have the use of your hands. I could tell you a story about a woman who we just helped. Uh, her name's Maggie. In October, she was diagnosed with ALS, which is a degenerative disease, and she had lost the mo uh, her mobility in her arms. And um, she came and spoke with Cindy, who is our expert in um, home modifications, and she was able to um, give her the recommendations that she needed so that she could stay independently in her home for as long as possible. 
So, you know, you think about at the beginning when I said, you know, think about when you were driving a car or, yeah. you know, uh, tossing your new baby over your head. You know, we take those things for granted, I think, not knowing that, you know, there are people that can't do that, but that's where independence first steps in and says, you know what? Yes, you can. <laughs> and, right. and here's how we're going to help you. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's wonderful. Um, actually, Independence First is on a list of the best 30 disability services in Milwaukee. All great organizations, you know, but what is it about Independence First that differs from the other agencies who work with people with disabilities? We'll yeah. be back in a moment to explore that further. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community. With your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community. I'm talking today with Marcy Boucher, President and CEO of Independence First. So share with us, Marcy, what makes Independence First different from all those other organizations? Independence First is very unique. I wish all employment places were like this. It is by far the best place I've ever worked at. It is so diversified inside. Uh, first of all, our building itself is 100% accessible, and they've taken every disability into consideration when they built the building. So 50% of our staff have a disability themselves, and 50% of our board have a disability. So they, they know what it's like. So walking around our organization, if you were to come in and take a tour, you would see people um, in wheelchairs, using walkers, people who are blind, people who are deaf. We have an entire um, uh, group of people who are deaf. We have probably have uh, seven people, I think. And we have interpreters on staff. We have people who speak, speak multiple different languages, and we also use interpreters for the ones that we don't speak. So if you were walking through our organization, Brian, he's one of the individuals who works for us, and um, he is deaf, and he runs a department that actually helps business owners be more profitable. And how he does that is he goes into your business and will let you know what is not accessible about the business that um, he's seen and how he can help you. Because if a, somebody can't get into your organization, they certainly can't shop. So um, maybe you would need a ramp or maybe you would need the doors widened a little bit or maybe the shelves are too close together inside. So there's all kinds of ways that he can help um, do business um, accessibility for you. We also partner with uh, the city of Milwaukee and we go around through the city. We help with the river walk, make that accessible. And we help point out different areas of the community that are not accessible for people to be able to access. One unique story of somebody who we just helped recently is, uh, his name was Cottrell. And he was a 16 year old boy who had a disability. And he was on the verge of homelessness. His mom had lost her job due to the COVID. And uh, he actually got COVID himself. And they were three months behind on their rent. They were three months behind on their utilities. They had no food in their house. 
he was sharing a bed with his brother. Now, get this, he has COVID. So uh, we were able to step in and we provided, um, we paid for their back rent. We paid three months of rent, uh, utilities, uh, gave them a $300 food voucher to help fill up the cupboards. And then we got them hooked up with Hunger Task Force to help with uh, ongoing food after that. We purchased a bed so he wouldn't be sharing it with his brother, and hopefully so he wouldn't get infected. So that's just one of the many people who we've helped recently. So you 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 help them stay in their home, basically. Correct. Which, yeah. Which and well, that different. that story is actually just a little bit unique because what we're all about is choice, giving people a voice so they can teach a man to fish, you know, type of a philosophy, right? So we're teaching them how they can be independent. And this uncertain times, we actually got quite a bit of money from the federal government that we could help directly to consumers so they wouldn't become homeless. Hmm. Well, talking about homes and people living in their homes. Let's say there's someone with a disability that has been living in a group home or a nursing home for many years. Is is that what they have to look forward to for the rest of their life? I mean, is there any hope for that person to live in their own home? Well, you know, that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked that of me, Jill, because um, although we try to keep people independently in their homes. Another program that we have is called Transition. And Transition is actually helping people who are in nursing homes or assisted living facilities to get out who don't want to be there. You may have gotten um, in a car accident, right? And you're living paycheck to paycheck and you were in the hospital for an extended period of time you may have ended up having to go to an an institution or a nursing home. So during that time frame, you've lost, you lost your house and everything. So uh, we have two different programs. One, we try to keep, we divert people from going into the institutions. Or the second one is if you've made it to an institution, we can try to help get you out of there. And by doing that, uh, we would find affordable housing, find something that's accessible for you to get in. Uh, Kim is uh, one of the people who she, we just got out of a nursing home and she used a wheelchair and had a, a degenerative disease. She desperately wanted to get out of the institution. She was there for years and years and years. Um, her dream was to live in her own apartment in be able to make her own choices, make her own decisions, decide what you know she wanted to eat for breakfast and what she wanted to do with her life. With our help, Kim was able to leave the nursing home and is now living in an apartment. Uh, she does need assistance, however, but we were able to get her a personal care worker and her mother actually helps take care of her. And then the mother is an employee of Independence First and she is a per- her personal care worker that can help take care of her. Um, and then we got her an adopted computer, and she's got her life fully back now, and she doesn't have to live in an institution. That's wonderful. And it's, it's important for people to understand that there are options. You know, I That's know right. that it takes a while sometimes to, to accomplish uh, that scenario where someone is already in a group home or a nursing home. But to know that it is possible and, and to hear stories of it actually taking place, uh, that's, that's wonderful to, uh, for people to understand that. So 
you have so many awesome programs. You know, tell us about some of the more unique ones that you have at Independence First. Sure. Um, we have a program, a contract with uh, Milwaukee Public School Systems, and we go into the schools and we teach young people with disabilities how to make proud choices. Um, it's actually um, called a form of sexual education. And the important lesson is having the right to say no and to not to be victimized. Another program that we have uh, that is really unique, it's an uh, e-video gaming program. And so video games are very popular right now. But if you have a disability, you probably can't play video games necessarily if you don't have the use of your arms. We have an incredible staff that has put together an armory of different accessible toggles and things like that to use playing video games. It was so unique that uh, Microsoft actually came down to see what we were doing. Wow. Yeah. So we have this uh, one gentleman who named Matt and he's young veteran and he was, uh, became disabled in the military and he didn't think he'd ever be able to play video games again. But we have uh, mouth puffers, like they can put it in their mouth and they can um, do the joystick with that. We have some that hook to your eyebrow and they can move the joystick with their eyebrow. We have them where they can split the one character on the video game so multiple people can play it. So let's say maybe I can only move my eyebrow, so I'm going to do the shooting and maybe you can only use your mouth. You'll do the running with your mouth. And so they, it's just really cool what they can do um, with this. And so for Matt, this was not only being able to get back and play video games again, he actually, it actually gave him back his social life as well. So for him, it was just life changing. Wow. So many amazing things you guys are doing. Obviously we can't talk about them all there's not enough time but uh that's where people can visit your website but you'll give us that at the end of the interview but tell us um what your greatest need is then i mean you're you're providing all these great things for others but what would you say is your greatest need well of course you know we always need good old financial help uh because the work that we do is extremely expensive especially if we have to help modify somebody's home to get them back into it um so we always need donations uh, we need volunteers and we need community connections um you know we need people who have uh connections to get into the hospitals and um so we can help more people and help uh, save the hospitals money and help the people stay out of a nursing facility so we could partner together with different um, hospitals here in town if we can just make that connection. So if anybody has a connection out there with a business innovations manager in a hospital, please contact me. We would love to partner with them. And my name is Marcy Boucher again, so you can look us up. And thank you, Jill. What about, what about volunteers? Do you guys accept volunteers? We do. We always need volunteers. And so we have a huge advocacy. That's one of the main things that we do do. And um, we always need help with um, advocacy. We need help uh, with our fundraising events. We need help stuffing envelopes. Uh, We need help uh, cleaning equipment. There's all kinds of things that people can do. Okay. So if you have a desire to work with 
Independence First, you can reach out to Marcy. Marcy, you want to give us your contact information, maybe a Facebook page or website? Sure. Independence First on Facebook. You can just you know Google it, go there. Or our website is www.independencefirst.org. That's www.independencefirst.org. Awesome. Thank you for joining us today, Marcy. Appreciate you sharing your passion and all that you do. With about 54 million Americans, that's one of every five individuals having a disability, they constitute our nation's largest minority group, which is the most inclusive and also the most diverse. Effective advocacy is key to supporting this large group. And to be an effective advocate, it's important to understand the difference between speaking on behalf of people with a disability and making sure the person's own voice is heard. Advocates support people with disabilities to help them develop the skills, the confidence, the knowledge they need to voice their own concerns and make sure that they're being treated right. They help them understand what's required by law and what is not. States can provide more services and protection than federal law, but they cannot provide less. If you or a loved one are part of this minority group, or if you just want to learn more about this topic, stay tuned, and we'll be right back after the break to hear more. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community. I'm your host, Jill Economo. And my next guest today is Barbara Beckert, Director of External Advocacy at the Disability Rights of Wisconsin Organization. So thanks for joining in our conversation today, Barbara. Oh, thank you, Jill. I'm looking forward to a great discussion. As am I. Marcy had a personal reason for being involved with Independence First. Do you have your own personal why with regard to working with the Disability Rights of Wisconsin? Yeah, thanks, Jill. Uh, my career actually began working in the Fortune 100 at Johnson Controls. And uh, when I had my first child, like so many people, my life changed, but it changed more significantly, I think, than most. My son was premature and he had significant medical needs. So he ended up being in the hospital for a number of months, and it was quite an education for us. Even though we had two terrific private insurances that covered us, we found out that most of the long-term supports that kids and adults with disabilities need aren't covered by private insurance. With the help of some good advocacy, we were able to get access to Medicaid through Wisconsin's Katie Beckett program, and that made all the difference for our family. It meant that our son could come home and could thrive living in our own home with the supports and services that he needed. Not only was it better for him, but it cost less money to get care in the community. So that really caught my interest. And I made a commitment that as things got better and my son got healthier, that I wanted to make a career change and be an advocate for other families who were experiencing the kind of challenges that we had with our son. Hmm. Well, share some of the accomplishments that you've had that you're most proud of in your work as a disability advocate. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that's uh, special, I think, about Disability Rights Wisconsin is that in addition to helping individual uh, adults and children with disabilities, we also work for system change to increase access to services and supports that promote independence. So 
we've had some um, pretty significant successes in Wisconsin working collaboratively with our coalition partners. One of these is ending waiting lists for community services for adults with disabilities. When I first started working in the field, uh, the majority of people with disabilities had the choice of getting services in a nursing home or in a group home if they wanted to get community services, which often cost less and most people preferred, they had to go on a long waiting list. Here in Milwaukee County, we had a waiting list of over 10,000 adults with disabilities waiting for community care. So it really was a, a struggle that went on for many years, a lot of great advocacy and um, remarkable bipartisan support that finally enabled Wisconsin to end waiting lists for adults and now people have the opportunity to participate in programs like Family Care or IRIS and get the supports they need in their home. How would you assess the current status then uh, of people with disabilities our community, in, in our community? You know, what, what progress has been made or what barriers still remain? Uh, that's a great question. So I think one area where clearly we've made progress, as I just mentioned, ending waiting lists for adults. We also have had some success um, over the past four years or so with coming close to ending waiting lists for children with significant disabilities. We now have approximately 10,000 kids in our state who are able to access the children's uh, long-term support Medicaid waiver program. So that's a positive thing. However, there are still some challenges. One of the areas that we really would like to see more focus on is the low rate of employment for people with disabilities. Uh, the number of people who were employed in 2019, for example, only 19% of people with disabilities in Wisconsin compared to 66% for people without a disability. So we think that Wisconsin can do better and we look forward to opportunities for partnering with the business community to provide education and work together to offer more opportunity. Well, and, and we talk about how important uh, collaborative efforts are, and, and you just shared that collaboration and partnerships are so important in your work. How has collaboration made a difference in the lives of the people you advocate for? Uh, thanks, Jill. I'd love to answer that question. Collaboration is so important in our work, and one of our closest partners has been Independence First. In the disability world, we really find that we are better together. So one of the programs that DRW coordinates is called the Milwaukee Mental Health Task Force. Uh, it's a program that advocates for greater access to services and to promote recovery and full inclusion of people with mental illness. And for many years, Independence First has been the home of the Mental Health Task Force. So we meet there regularly. The Associate Director of Independence First, Karen Avery, was actually a tremendous mentor to me. I learned so much from her. And when she passed away, over five years ago, we decided that we wanted to honor her legacy by starting a new award in her honor and an annual forum, the Karen Avery Award and Forum. And one way that we made a difference is by um, having an educational forum that focused on a new service delivery model, a peer-run respite. So this is a program that uh, provides short-term respite for people who have mental health needs 
and it's run by other people who have that lived experience and have training as a peer specialist. Karen was a great advocate for peer-run services. We held the program at Independence First. We had policymakers attend and at the table. And at the next county budget, we were successful in getting funding in the budget for the very first peer-run respite in Milwaukee Parachute House. So that's a great example of how we've made a difference through our collaboration and are offering a new recovery-based services for people in our community. Wonderful. Congratulations. We love to hear success stories. That's awesome. <laughs> um, we said before that part of effective advocacy is understanding what the laws are and what resources are available. So states can provide more services and protection than federal law, but they cannot provide less. So stay tuned to hear more about the law that was passed in 1990 to help the disabled population and what its impact has been and what that looks like in Wisconsin as compared to other states. Stay tuned to hear more, and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I'm talking today with Barbara Beckert, working for the Disability Rights of Wisconsin organization. So President George H.W. Bush signed the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, into law in July of 1990. Share with us, Barbara, then what, what the impact has been and how does Wisconsin compare with what's being done around the country? This is really an important 30-year milestone that we will be celebrating in July. The Americans with Disabilities Act is really the civil rights law for people with disabilities, and it provides protections to make sure that people with disabilities have the same rights and opportunities as everyone else does. Uh, for example, Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act ensures that people with disabilities have a full and equal opportunity to vote. That's an area that we've been very involved with and also work with Independence First on. We coordinate the Wisconsin Disability Vote Coalition. This is an important election year and people with disabilities may face some significant barriers to exercising their constitutional right to vote. The ADA requires that every polling place have an accessible voting machine. Uh, an accessible voting machine allows a voter who is blind or has another disability that may require them to make use of assistive technology to vote independently and privately. It also requires that polling places be accessible. One of the programs that Disability Rights Wisconsin is involved with that I think has been a very successful partnership is uh, work that we do with the Wisconsin Election Commission to conduct accessibility audits at polling places. During more significant or major statewide elections, our staff get special training and we go out to the polling places and there's a list that's selected around the state and we conduct a very comprehensive audit of the polling place in person to see if it meets the required criteria. That generates a report and then the election commission shares that 
with the municipal clerks and works with them to improve. So one example of a pretty disturbing situation that we saw the last time that I did audits was we got to a church that was set up to act as a polling place for the first time, opened the door to get in, and what did I find? A flight of stairs. So that was the only entrance to vote. So a lot of people with disabilities and older adults who have mobility issues would be disenfranchised. They wouldn't be able to enter their polling place and that's not acceptable. So we were able to work with the Wisconsin Election Commission to get that elevated and ensure that voters in that part of the city would have an accessible location to vote in the future. Those are the kinds of protections that the ADA pr provides that are so important to many of us because as you pointed out earlier, uh, disability is, probably the only minority group that we can join at any time. So many disabilities are acquired in life. And it's something that if it doesn't affect your family yet, it may affect your family in the future. So we all benefit from accessibility. Yeah. How does Wisconsin then compare with other states? Yeah, I think that Wisconsin has some significant strengths. I had mentioned before that we've really made tremendous progress in ensuring that more people have access to community-based services. We also have reduced the number of institutions that we have uh, for people with disabilities in our state. Part of our role at Disability Rights Wisconsin is that when an institution in our state is going to close, we serve on the closing team and our role there as advocates is to ensure that there is a safe and appropriate placement found for every resident uh, of the facility and that they and, and or their guardian, if they have a guardian, have a voice and a choice in what that placement is. It shouldn't be just putting them to wherever a room happens to be available. I was very proud that we were part of the closing team at the Milwaukee Mental Health Complex, they had two large institutional facilities, Hilltop and Rehab Central, where at one point, thousands of people with significant disabilities, including mental illness, lived. Uh, in recent years, that number had diminished in part because of our advocacy for community services. But at the time of the closure, there were still several hundred. So our staff were able to serve on the closing team uh, you know, I, some of the people had such compelling stories. I think of Charles, who was a young man with an intellectual disability. He was very bright, uh, bright-eyed and energetic, and living in an institution was very restrictive for him. He had been there for eight years. So he was able to, with the help from a DRW advocate, to move to an adult family home. So he was in a small home-like setting, beautiful yard, had his own room. He was a big fan of wrestling. So he had wrestling posters up on his walls. He was able to decorate in his, his room in a way he never could and to visit family. So it really opened up his horizons. And um, the last that I had heard an update, I know that he was interested in exploring opportunities to get some training and possibly to look at workforce opportunities as well. Mm, you do such such great work. You know, maybe some other states are going to want to look to Wisconsin and developing some programs that we have that maybe some others don't. 
you mentioned in a previous conversation that you want to help children with disabilities reach their full potential. How do you go about accomplishing that? Yes, that is really a passion that I bring to this work from my own experience as a parent. And we've had some opportunities to really make a difference. We've been especially interested in ensuring that families from Milwaukee's diverse communities have access to the services and supports that will ensure that their kids are able to develop as fully as possible and to be contributing members of our community. So uh, a few years ago, we were fortunate to have some support from the Greater Milwaukee Foundation to do a project where we did uh, a focused outreach campaign. So we worked with community partners, with boys and girls clubs, with churches, with senior centers, all the different partners to let them know about the services that were available for children and youth who have a disability. We also worked with um, a lot of healthcare providers as well, and it was really an eye-opener that so many folks, including some who are very well informed about medical services, aren't aware of some of the other programs that are available. Medicaid programs often provide supports that um, complement medical services. So perhaps you have a child who, because of their disability, is at risk for running out in traffic. So you might be able to get funding to pay for a house. We helped advocate for a family who was facing that situation and was very worried about their child. And now with the fence, they're able as a family to be comfortable spending out time outside with their child. So um, as a result of this, we established a parent advisory group with families of color. We developed a, a new resource guide that was shared widely in the community and developed some really long-term relationships. One of the recent new initiatives that I think came out of this in part is a new clinic that is uh, operated by one of the organizations we partner with, Mental Health America of Wisconsin. And it has a specific focus on serving families of color and they are providing family navigators. So members uh, from the community who are trusted parents who can help answer the questions. Because I've got to tell you, our systems can be very complicated to navigate. Families do need assistance. And sometimes that's legal assistance like DRW provides. And sometimes the help from a family navigator is just what's needed. So kudos to Mental Health America and the Next Step Clinic. It's great to see that new initiative launched in our community. And again, wonderful to, to learn about those collaborative efforts that are taking place because not, not one place can do it all, right? And we talk about knowing your resources. So you bring, you have those, those partnerships or those collaborative relationships that ultimately benefit the uh, population you're serving. It's just a win-win, right? So we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act being signed into law. So is DRW planning anything special? Yes, this is a, a great milestone and we couldn't let it pass without a celebration. So one of the things that we think is most impactful is to capture the voices of some of the people who are experiencing both the benefits of the ADA as well as seeing where we haven't fulfilled the aspiration of the Americans with Disabilities Act, where we need to do better 
to ensure accessibility and inclusion. So we're doing a series of videos um, of people with disabilities who will talk about the impact of the 30th anniversary of the ADA and what it means to them and how far we've gone, but also look at where we still need to go. So we're going to be um, hosting a watch event in late July, and we'll be promoting that widely. And you're invited to attend. Awesome. <laughs> and how, we'll, how do we get access to that? That will be live streamed on our Facebook page. So we invite everyone to check us out on Facebook, uh, as well as our website, which is disabilityrightswi.org. And uh, it's always a, a great place to go to get resources um, and keep up on the latest hot topics in the disability world. Okay. Well, tell us then, Barbara, how can people help or how can they get involved? Yeah, I always appreciate being asked about opportunities to lend a hand. So uh, one opportunity, of course, is as a nonprofit, we always are grateful for people who can support our work uh, with their philanthropic support. So that's very much appreciated. And one area of that philanthropic support that's always a priority for us is, I mentioned we do a lot of work on system change, that's policy work. So support for that policy work is um, especially needed and appreciated. That's how we've been able to do things like not only hoping an individual to get access to long-term care, but help to educate our policymakers and with their support to have that be, uh, available to people statewide and end waiting lists. And finally, we do have volunteer opportunities, both the Mental Health Task Force and the Disability Vote Coalition, both of which we coordinate, are open uh, to community members with an interest. And we'd love to hear from you and would welcome partnership from the community. Okay. Well, thank you, Barbara, for being an advocate and for sharing some of the ways you help kids and adults with disabilities be the best that they can be. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jill. It was a pleasure. I want to also thank my other guests today, Marcy Boucher, President and CEO of Independence First. Thank you both, Marcy and Barbara, for making a difference in the lives of others. If you'd like further information about what we talked about today, or you'd like to be considered as a guest on the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com, or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to hear about more people and more organizations that are making a difference in the lives of others. Many ways that you can tune in. You can tune in live on the AM dial, AM 1130, on your radio or newstalk1130.com on your computer or your tablet. You can also listen via your cell phone on the iHeartRadio app. And if you want to listen to some previously recorded interviews, of which there are many, you can visit our website at ellenbecker.com. Uh, you can also listen on demand at Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcast. So join us for an hour to hear stories of how someone has used their passion, their talent, and their desire to reach out and help, like Barbara and Marcy have so uh, eloquently shared with us today. And then create your own story. You know, figure out how you can be a person. You can be that person. That makes a difference for someone else. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a wonderful Sunday.